We will be in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verse 8 through verse 11. Of course, we know the context who Peter is writing to. This is the Apostle Peter. And he is writing to those Christians who are persecuted under Roman persecution, under the reign of Nero. Uh, They are facing very real physical persecution. And he is giving them instruction in that how to live as a witness to live as a stranger on this earth, a pilgrim on this earth, with that living hope. That is the main theme of this whole book of 1 Peter. Because of that living hope that we have, and that hope that God keeps us to by faith, we are to live as light. So let's let's finish up our study. 1 Peter chapter 4 will be beginning in verse 8 down through verse 11. The Bible says this, "...above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves." For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the blessings you have showered upon us, Lord. I ask now that you would look upon us, be with us, move among us as we come to your word and the preaching of it. That you would remove distractions that might arise. That you would take the word by your spirit into our hearts and help us to learn and to grow from it. Please be with us. Just me as I, as I endeavor to preach the word truly and that you would help me to say uh, only what is needed and nothing more. I ask your blessing on this time together. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Keep your distance. That, by far, right now, is the law of the land, isn't it? Keep your distance. You can't go to a store without seeing it. They've got tape on the floor or stickers on the floor where you're supposed to stand. How far you can get and how far you cannot get. You can't turn on the news without hearing about some form of social distancing. I've made many uh, comments that I've come to despise that, that term, social distancing and That this is part of the new normal. And as things open up, this is not going away for the foreseeable future. Social distancing is said to, to be a part of our society from now on. So keep your distance. And society has responded well to the training, for the most part. People are leery. People, uh, they hold off. They don't get too close, right? Some, at least, honestly, there's a lot of people in my life and it seems like they don't give a rip about the, the six feet distance, and that's just fine with me, honestly. But you can see it. Some care very much about it. They're almost militant about it. You get within that six feet radius and they start squawking. We're told to stay away. We're told to keep our distance. It's widening a gap between humanity, a gap that I think was already there 
in many ways created by technology. People are lost in their phones and it was hard to just have a regular conversation with somebody because they're uncomfortable talking to real people. You could text them all day long, but talking to real people, that's something different. And there's a generation growing up that doesn't know how to, to do that. And this is all just widening that gap and creating more and more barriers between people. We were already disconnected. Now it's just advised by the government that we continue to do so. And my question is, as I consider this, was this already the case? Well, certainly for people in society, yes. But what about the church? Were we already distant? Had we drifted into a normal before everything was disrupted? Had we already drifted into a normal that was already in some senses or many senses separated? Like disconnected but connected. Connected a couple days a week and maybe when something uh, hard came along but for the most part disconnected from one another living on little separate islands of our lives. And then all of a sudden we're told we can't meet. And so for six weeks or so, we've seen each other mainly through screens. Or you've watched me as I've been on Facebook. It does something, doesn't it? It's not, it's not the same. It is not the same. It creates a, uh, a distance that we don't like. And we realize, or at least I've realized, perhaps... Perhaps we took some things for granted. And do we realize, like actively know, and did we realize in the past, like actively, how much we love each other? Did we ever stop to think about that, or was it something we took for granted? Have we been attentive to the relationships we have here in this body? Because those are so very important. Have we paid attention to them like we should have, or maybe... We drifted away about that, uh, away from some of those things. Listen, when we talk about real Christianity, which is our theme for this year, it, when we talk about living and in, in, in practicing a real Christianity, we, we tend to have an outward focus. And that's fine. And that's right. We are to be living as a light to the world, right? We're to be living as a witness. And much of Peter's instruction in this book is along those lines, how to live as a witness so that people can see God and come to know Him through our actions. But we cannot forget the importance. We cannot forget the necessity of healthy relationships within the church body. They are very important. In fact, in many ways, they're some of the most important relationships that we have. They're the foundation for what true love is. At least they should be. For what true and lasting friendship is. And we share a bond with each other here that we don't share with most others. We not only share the love of our Savior and knowing our our Savior and the redemption that He has provided, but we're in covenant together here. We're bound to one another in a very... um, very special, very intimate way, and we share in each other's joys and each other's struggles. We don't do that with everybody in our lives, do we? So the church body's relationships are really important, and if we're not careful, we can drift away 
and get back to that sense of normal, like things used to be that was off. I spoke a couple weeks about um, being careful as we drift into this new normal, that we don't go back to some old bad things that we used to do, right? Maybe we need to change it up a little bit. This is kind of one of those areas in caring about our relationships here with one another. Because too often we take them for granted or we neglect them until there's problems. And it's normal for us just to go about our lives and not really give a second thought to our brothers and sisters here. Well, that not ought to be, right? We ought to be concerned. So here in our text, Peter gives us some short commands. I just want to set a couple principles before you today. Things we already know, but maybe we need to be reminded of. So notice if you would in verse 8. Some of the things that he says here, verse 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Above all things. I don't know if that stood out to you, but that's a pretty important statement. The words he uses... uh, gives the idea that this is the primary thing. And if you understand all that has come before in the letter, he's giving instruction after instruction. He gives the the basis for the the living hope that we have, and that's why we live as strangers. And then he, he, he gives us all kinds of instructions. Then he comes here and he says, above all that, more importantly than all that, have fervent charity among yourselves. He sets this in a place of importance. If this area is not right, then the rest is going to be affected. Just think of it this way. If you have a fight at home or you're having a tough time with your spouse or, or something like that, then everything else in your life is off, isn't it? Your work day is not the same. Your friendships aren't the same. Why? Because the core of your, your whole home is off. Well, it's the same with us. If our relationships aren't right and healthy, then everything we do as trying to live as a Christian is, is going to be a little off. It's going to be a little skewed. And so Peter stops and he takes time to mention that. Hey, this is really important, guys. More importantly than the other things that I've told you, have fervent charity among yourselves. Fervent is a, is a good old word. It means it's got a pretty broad meaning. It can mean deep, devout, earnest, intense, zealous. It has the idea of passion. Uh, something that we, we uh, feel. This is far deeper than some surface friendship. And some, so many uh, relationships in our lives are like that, right? You say, hi, how you doing? When you pass somebody and if they answer the question and they ask you, you really kind of run out of things to say. Uh, what do I talk about? Oh, look at the weather. Or, oh, this is crazy. What's going on, right? Kind of takes you back. Why? Because with many people in our lives, we're just kind of on a surface level. This is much deeper than that. This is something that springs from our heart. The opposite of fervent is cold, dull, indifferent, insincere, unexcited, enthusiastic, unenthusiastic. You get the picture for what he's meaning here? And how we can fall into something that's less than fervent? And that word charity is agape love, that love that is sacrificial, that prefers others. It's not based on circumstance or reciprocation. It's a Christ-like love. And we are to love each other like Christ loves us deeply with passion. And this is not the first time he said this in this letter. Turn back a couple pages to chapter 1 and verse 22 and you see it there too. He says, seeing in chapter 1, 
Verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the goal, unto unfeigned or unhypocritical love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. You have purified your souls through obeying the truth with the end goal of love. Love. Unfeigned love of the brethren. Unhypocritical, real love of the brethren. Then he says, see that you continue in that with a pure heart. Well, that seems pretty important, isn't it? It's something so simple in our relationship with God and our relationships with one another is that sometimes we take it for granted. But the Bible is clear that God's people are to be marked by, known by, identified by their love for one another. And it's a love that is deep and it's a love that is alive. People should feel it the moment they walk in these doors. There's something different here. This is not like some social club or this is not like some other gathering. These people really love each other. They hear it in the the way that we talk. They feel it in our interaction. And it's not just some fake face that we put on for church. No, it's real. Some people love God. Some people love church like they love Snickers. Oh, I just love that. But they can do without it and they can go without it. And it meets some immediate need. And this love is far deeper than how we use the term love sometimes. This is... A love like you love your spouse. A love like you love your children and your family. Deep, heartfelt, at our very core, a love that is real. Right? In fact, Jesus says this in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Well, that's not really new. That's in the Old Testament. It's part of the old law. So it wasn't exactly a new commandment. The new part was this, that he added on. And he could do that because he's God. He says, You love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Oh, see, now we've got a bar. We've got an example. And it's Christ. You, as he's speaking to the disciples here in the upper room, he says, I'm I'm giving you this commandment that you love one another like I have loved you. And by this, by that love, shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. It's a marker of God's people. And so the question is, are we marked by that? Are you, am I, marked by that kind of love? Do people look at me and hear me and see and feel the love of God? Do they see in me, do they see in us a fervent love for your brothers and sisters here? I am without a doubt all of us would say, well, yes, we'd say that in a heartbeat, right? I love my brothers. I love my sisters. And we often say that and we need to continue. That's one of the things we do at communion, right? We go around to each other. We give each other a hug and we say, I love you. I think that's healthy and that's right to express that. We say we love each other, but you know what? Sometimes it's followed by a but, isn't it? Well, I love so-and-so, but... (laughs) till we start attacking on their inconsistencies. Or we love when things are good and easy, and maybe when hard times come. I don't think that's the love that Jesus is speaking of. He's, he's speaking of a love like His. You know what? For many, 
Church is where we learn what love really is. Now, some of us have come from healthy families. We know what that healthy family love is. We're blessed for that. We know what it's like to have a loving mother, a loving father, and brothers and sisters, and all that goes with that. We know what that, that core family love is supposed to be like. And some of us, well, maybe we, we haven't had that. And we know that that can fail and fall short. And the love within God's people is different and deeper. Why? Because it's modeled after Christ. It's modeled after Christ. We love each other as He has loved us. Because we have the perfect example of someone who loves us fervently. And that is Jesus. Just think of all that He's done for us. Dying for us while we were still sinners. In fact, the most famous verse in the world, For God so loved the world. That is agape love. This same love that Peter is talking about here. God loves us so much that He provides our redemption while we are still sinners. And even after we're redeemed, even after we know better, He's there to forgive, isn't He? In fact, it says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me, that's over and over and over. Why? Why does He do that? Because He loves. He loves us. It's that love that the church grows in, that the church is marked by, that is the basis for all of our relationships. Notice that last phrase in the verse there, in verse 8. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is quoting Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12 when it says, hatred, hatred stirreth up stripes, but love covereth all sins. You see, when you, you, you love somebody, you overlook faults. One example of this that I'm living right now is, well, let me put it this way. Three weeks ago, we bought a puppy. And we were finally able to bring her home on Friday. And she's, she's just a baby, seven weeks old today. Just a baby. So some of you know what our life is like right now. <laughs> Pretty much spending every one of her waking moments chasing her around to, see, to catch her before she goes pee on the carpet, right? <laughs> to try to get that training in and never let her out of your sight. And it's, you always got to be on. And then at night with the crying, and we left her in her crate to come here for church. And so I checked the ring doorbell after we'd been here just a bit before everybody started arriving. And there in the background is a yelping puppies. <laughs> oh, man. It's fun, right? Could be exhausting. Could be uh, frustrating. But to tell you the truth, we don't mind all that much. Why? Because we love her. We love her already. We've only had, a couple, had her a couple days and we already... Love her. Now, you know what that's like, especially on a much bigger scale with your kids, right? The newborn phase and all that goes through that and with your spouse and those character flaws or those mistakes that you overlook, those things in them that we bear with. I know my wife bears with many in me. Why? Because we love them. Well, you know what? It needs to be the same within the body. And there's so much... We could take time to say about how we can be sensitive with each other or, or um, look for problems over the smallest things sometimes. That's our human sinful nature, and it gets the best of all of us at times. The cure for that is fervent Christ-like love. Deep, passionate love that is in our hearts. 
think of it from, well, let me just give you a quote I heard from another pastor. I forget where I picked it up, but it was in relation to churches opening and, and uh, I just, it rang with me, especially in preparing this message. A pastor says this, you're telling me these people aren't family? Talking about his church, they're family. I marry these people. I bury these people. They're more than family. I think that's a fitting, true statement. A fitting, true statement to the relationships that we have within here, deeper than family because of the bonds that we share in Christ. I can't force that. I don't want to. I don't need to. It's just simply a reminder that we check our own hearts. Do we fervently love our brothers and sisters here? in this small community of heaven that God has built and and brought us together. And maybe if there's some things in the way, or maybe some things are drawing our heart, maybe it's time we repent and make things right. As we look to our example, doesn't Christ bear with or cover a multitude of our sins? I know He does for me. And shouldn't we do that for one another? So that's the first thing Peter sets out there. Above all, you need to love each other fervently. But it's not a love that is without action. Notice verse 9. Verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9 says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Hospitality, that word, is literally fond of guests. He uses, uh, this phrase is used in other letters. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, we're to be given to hospitality. 1 Timothy and Titus require that a bishop or a pastor be a lover of hospitality. It's one of those commands in the Bible that's like so simple. I don't really need to say anything about it. Like pray without ceasing or rejoice always. Use hospitality one to another. We are to have each other in our homes. Well, how often does that happen? I know the situation right now. But COVID aside, at one time we did quite a bit. And then it just, I don't know if we just got busy, but it kind of faded away. What I'm saying is I think we need to get back to that. We need to use hospitality more than we are. We need to stop being so busy. And I think all of us through what we've gone through have have taken a good look at our schedules and, and seen maybe we had some things out of place. Maybe some things that weren't so important we can put down on a lower shelf now. And maybe one of those things we need to move to a higher slot is hospitality with the brethren, with our brothers and sisters. The Bible just says use it. Use it for one another. Be quick to do so. It should be a common thing. And I I think Peter knows how we can get because he tacks on this little phrase without grudging. That's one of those phrases, those words that sounds like what it is. Like murmur. I think some of your translations say without murmuring. The word murmur sounds like a murmur. And so does grudge. Just grudge. I don't want to have to do this, you know, that kind of an attitude. He says, don't, don't, don't be grudging when you have people over. Do we ever have that attitude? Sure we can. Have them over? Well, they haven't had me over in years. Why would I go over to their house? Why should I be the first one to do it? I don't really like, to, <laughs> I don't really like them. Why would I want to go to their house? We can say all kinds of things, don't we? Well, maybe we need to stop because the Bible says without grudging, without complaining. Not like we're fulfilling some duty. Listen, do you know the bonds that can be formed around the dinner table and a cup of coffee? 
Do you know the wounds that can be healed in that same place? Sitting around a campfire in somebody's backyard? Do you know the counsel that can be given to get you through what you may be facing? I think you do. We all do. We know the importance of hospitality. And all I'm simply saying is maybe we need to get back to that. Maybe going forward, we need not to be so distant, but to bridge the gap. And in all of it, to have a Christ-like spirit. We, let's look in verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the last thing he tacks on here in this little section is say, hey, you're supposed to have love for each other, a hospitable heart, and a serving heart, a ministering heart to one another. As everyone has received this gift, minister to one another, serve one another, be a good steward of the grace that God has shed in your life. And there is not one of us that would stand here and say, hey, I don't have enough grace. We would all say we have too much, don't we? If we truly think of our own sin and our own rebellious spirit at times, we are so grateful and thankful for the grace of God. Well, if God has given His grace, ought we to give it to another? To minister to one another in that? See, God's grace is not just for your enjoyment. You can give that same grace. You can be a vessel of that grace to others. God's grace can be shown and given through you as you minister to those around you in the body like a breath of fresh air. Like that seaside breeze when you walk on the shore and you smell it and it brings a smile to your face. Or the, the stream that you see in the, the woods that just is refreshing to your spirit. You can be like that as you minister to those in the body. As every man hath received the gift. Just so you know, the word gift and the word grace have the same root word. This is a gift that comes from grace. And God has given us different gifts. We don't have time, but we could go to the book of Romans in chapter 12 and look at all the different grace gifts that God has given. Uh, the ability to minister, the ability to, to uh, uh, encourage or to teach or different things that it lists there that God has uniquely gifted the body. We could go to 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 and see how God has placed the body together perfectly and just as your ears and your eyes and your toes and all of your internal parts have different vital functions, so it is with the body of Christ, each local body. God has built and uniquely gifted each part of the body here is essential. Each one of you are essential, and each one of you have something to give. Sometimes our reaction to that is, well, not me. Well, really, God's going to write in the Bible for everyone who will ever read it, who's part of a church, to say, hey, you are uniquely gifted, except when it comes to you. No, that's not the case. All of us are gifted with something from God. Sure, you might not be the pastor, you might not be musically inclined or you might not have the gift of teaching, but you could have a merciful spirit. You could give, not only monetarily, but of time. 
You can be that one who is supportive or able to teach little ones or put a bulletin together. Maybe you can sweep a sidewalk or clean a bathroom like nobody else. Whatever it is, you are essential and we ought to use it to minister to one another. You know what blesses my heart? When I don't have to clean bathrooms. (laughs) And I see you guys doing it willingly. Or at least with a willing spirit. Maybe it's not the top thing on your list to do and say, yay. But I see it taken care of and I say, well, thank God. Just little things like that. Bless a pastor's heart like you maybe couldn't understand. It's a breath of fresh air, honestly. Just the little things that God has gifted us. We are to use it. So let's use it. Let's use it for Him. Let's use it by Him. We don't teach to be heard, but we teach to give grace. We give the Word of God. We minister with the ability that God has supplies and the grace that He has supplies. And let's not compare to one another because that gets us in trouble. Let's do what God has gifted us to do. And look for ways to minister with a loving and a hospitable heart. And I want you to notice what the product of this is in the end of verse 11. When the body is full of love, when the body is identified by love, when hospitality is the norm and not occasional, and when the church body is ministering to one another, look what it says, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, who, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. When the church body is in love with each other and ministering to one another, God is glorified like nothing else. He is evident. People will see and people will know there's something different there. There's a reason the church is called a light set on a hill that can't be hidden, shining light from within herself to the city around. That's how it should be. This is where the light needs to be the brightest. The love needs to be the strongest. That's what we're here for. People need to see God, not just hear Him. They need to feel Him, not just hear some Christian catchphrases out of our mouth. Not some sour attitudes that some churches can have when you walk in the door. Not cold, unenthusiastic love, but a love that is vibrant and alive and active. Because you know what? That makes church real. That makes church real. That connects Not just for the outside, but for us first. So let's love each other. Let's be hospitable and serve one another that God may be seen. So as I move to a close, you might be asking, why am I saying all this? Is there a problem? I didn't know there was a problem. No, there's no problems, actually. In fact, I think we're grateful to see each other face to face finally. We are thankful to be back in wooden pews surrounded by stained glass windows singing to an old piano, right? I just say this because sometimes we need reminder. And I don't want us... Well, let me say this first. In being absent from one another, our love for one another has grown, hasn't it? I don't want us to forget what that absence felt like. The drive that we had to see one another again. The longing within us to get back to church and back together with our church body. Not just because we know that it's biblical, 
but because we love each other. And it can be very easy for things to slowly slip back into the way they used to be and to let our relationships with one another do the same. We must not. We must not let ourselves grow distant. Don't be distant. Everybody's telling everybody to separate. Let's not do that. Let's grow closer together. Part of what this whole reset of society has taught us is how precious our fellowship is, how much we need it, how much we should cherish it, right? So let's not forget that. Don't be distant. Let's not fall back into the used to be. Moving forward, how about we keep these things on the forefront of our mind, a fervent love and hospitality and ministering. Because it will only make us better. It will only make us stronger. It will only draw us closer, not only to one another, but to God. It will have more of an impact on those in our lives when they see us and they feel the reality of it. And I just want to add this. It will help us face whatever may come. I don't know if you've noticed the placing of this within the letter, but right after, Peter, Peter gives all of this instructions. Here's how you ought to live in all these different aspects of life. Above all, love one another. Be hospitable. Serve one another. And you know what he goes from chapter 4, 12 on to the end of the book? Get ready. Don't think it's strange about the fiery trial which is coming. You're going to suffer as a Christian. Beware, the devil is on the prowl and he wants to devour you. I think it no coincidence that right before that he says, hey, you need to fervently love each other. The world doesn't understand this love. The world doesn't understand the relationships that we have here. They are asking why. Why is it so important that you go to church? Why are you always going to church? Why are you doing church things? Why can't you just wait until the government says it's safe? You've all heard those things, right? They don't understand. They, don't, they haven't been touched by the love of Christ like we have. They don't know what it's like to have this covenant bond where we're, we're bound together in communion with one another. And the love that is there, and they don't understand. So when we face t- tough times and when we face pushback, we have each other. That bond that is stronger than the fiery trial. Deeper than the sadness. Blood bought by our Lord and Savior. So again, don't let it slip. The world is telling us to stay away. Don't be distant. Close the gaps. And let's be intentional about this. Let's strengthen the bonds between us. Just think of all that we've been through together. Weddings. Funerals. Babies. More babies on the way. Our children have grown up together. We've picked each other up. We've walked each other through dark times and through sadness. We've celebrated with one another. We've watched God work for us and in us in amazing ways. I believe the best is still ahead, but all of this has been by the grace of God because He loves us and we are to love each other as He loves us. We have so many reasons not to be distant. Well, as always, that starts with our own hearts. Don't look to pass the blame to somebody else. 
I take responsibility for me and you take responsibility for you, but let's all take the opportunity to love each other more. Fervently. To be more hospitable, to, to minister to one another that God may be seen. Let's bow our heads as we close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the love that you have toward us. And the many ways that you have just blessed us Loved us so much, Lord, sending your Son for us, Lord. I ask that you would remind us of that and help us to have that same loving heart for each other here, Lord. I know that we love each other. I know we love our church, Lord. Help us just to grow in it and to never stop growing and to, to look for ways to minister to one another, Lord, that we might be a light, that you might be seen and glorified in all things. Please be with us. I ask your blessing on each one watching and hearing this, Lord, and be with us as we go from here. Give us opportunities to share that love with those in our life. Lord, I thank you again for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.